Good evening, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1 is where we're going to pick up tonight from God's Word. So if you have your Bible, would you open it with me and follow along? 1 Peter and chapter number 1. Y'all doing all right tonight? Are you glad to be in God's house tonight? This is the day the Lord's made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So I'm so glad that you're here this evening. And uh, let's look together into God's Word. Chapter, uh, chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't live like you used to live. Verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Live your... Li it says, because... It is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Father in heaven, please speak to us tonight through your word. We need you. Lord, I feel absolutely uh, inadequate to preach uh, in my own flesh. But Father, I ask that you might speak to me and to us from your word. And Father, I pray that as we look into the mirror of your word, we might see who we are. We might be convicted of our own sin. We might be convinced of the righteousness of Jesus. And we might be comforted in the grace that we can have in him. Father, have your way in our lives and hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a young man by the name of John who went into a junk store. It was really, it's just filled with all kinds of junk. It was a pawn shop and people could leave stuff there or stuff that had been bought and uh, was for sale. It was just filled with all kinds of different junk in the store. And as he was looking along the shelves, looked for something that might be of value or that he might want. He was just kind of looking, and all of a sudden, he spotted something on the back of a shelf. And as he dug and moved some old bottles and books and, and dust and dirt, he looked at a bowl. It was about eight inches across, and so he looked at that little bowl. He uh, thought, you know what, this is very curious what this is. And it didn't seem to have any value to the shopkeeper, and so he looked at it and... Um, it was still filled with dirt and mud and silt. It looked like there might be a little hairline fracture in it, and, but he knew that that could be repaired. And so as he looked at it longer and longer, he realized this is a porcelain bowl. And so he tried to hide his and disguise his delight as he went to check out with this uh, a bowl. And as he did that, uh, the, he paid the price the shopkeeper wanted and he took it home. When he took it home, what he thought was actually true. And he began to clean that bowl. And he was able to fix that little fracture so no one could even see it. And he painstakingly worked over the inside and outside of that porcelain bowl until it was brought back to the complete luster that it once had. He put it as a centerpiece on the shelf in his living room and bought 
three uh, ornamental eggs and set in there, and it was a talking point for his whole living room, and he bought it for next to nothing, but it was worth a lot of money. Now, just suppose that the man who had brought it to the pawn shop came back and said, hey, you, you know what? I, I want to buy that bowl I left here the other day. I need to plant some more flowers, and I want to set it out on my back porch and fill it with dirt and put a flower in it. The owner, the shopkeeper says, well, man, I don't have that anymore. John bought it. You might check with him. And he probably wouldn't do it, but in, what if he went to old John and said, John, uh, the owner of the store told me you bought that bowl, and I'd like to get it back from you. And I wanted to plant some flowers and put it outside in my backyard or my garden. Old John says to him, well, no, you can't have it. Because I bought it, and I cleaned it, and I fixed it, and it's precious to me, and it no longer will be used in common use, but it's used as a centerpiece of honor and glory in my house. You are that bowl, and you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and he's rescued you and saved you and made you a life of honor and beauty and he has restored you and he's called you to a holy calling. Amen? Amen. Somebody should say amen. In verse number 18 it says, he says, knowing you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of inheritance from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. My friends, you've been restored and made holy through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, therefore glorify God in your body. In this passage of Scripture we're looking at in chapter number 1, he's reminding us not to live like we formerly did. Don't be conformed to the former loss, which was yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Tonight we want to talk about holiness, and I want us to consider some questions together as we look at it, at this idea tonight. First of all, what is holiness? Secondly, how is God holy? Thirdly, why is holiness essential in our lives? Number four, how do I become holy? And number five, how do I live a holy life? Now, number one, what is holiness? The word holiness is a word that we don't use so much anymore in our world. And uh, what does it mean to be righteous, holy, godly? Holiness has the idea to be different. It means to be other, not the same as the common world, but to be different. It's unlike any other thing, unlike any other person. There's a uniqueness to holiness. It means to be not only unique and different and other, but it means to be set apart. And that's the idea of holiness. The Hebrew word for holy or holiness is the word kadosh. It means it's something that's set apart or holy. 
The New Testament word that is used in the Greek is the word hagios. And so they both carry the same idea, that it is special, that it's unique, that it's something that is set apart, something that's taken out of everyday service and set apart under special service. In the Old Testament, things are made holy. Persons are made holy. Priests are called to be holy. A place is said to be a holy place. The altar is holy. Utensils in the worship are holy. They're not normal utensils that you use every day, but they're holy because they're for a special task. The tabernacle is not just any tent. It's a holy place where you meet with a holy God. The tithe or the offering that you give is a holy offering unto the Lord because it's to Him. It carries the idea of consecration. It's consecrated, set apart, and dedicated to special and holy service. But it also has a moral quality to it. It's purity. Something that's holy is pure. It's clean. It is without spot or blemish. Now, how is God holy? In the Bible... God himself is called holy. In Exodus chapter number 3, you might remember Moses is on the west side of Horeb and he's watching over his father-in-law's flocks after he's been exiled from Egypt. And here he is. He has an encounter with a bush that is burning and an angel of the Lord is present and God speaks out of that bush. And it says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And he said, take off your shoes because the ground on which you are Standing is holy. Why is the ground holy? Not because it's Mount Horeb, because he's in the presence of holy God. Are you all with me today? God is holy. And we've come to meet in his presence. And we should be in awe of his holiness. Exodus 15, verse 11 says, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working of wonders? In Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy. He, there is none other like God himself. He is creator God. He created all things. Folks, this world we live in is not here by a cosmic accident. It's by the creative power of almighty God. There's one God and he made this world that we live in. And he created you and me. And we are responsible and accountable to him. He is perfect in all of his ways. He has attributes The theologians talk about they're incommunicable, meaning he has attributes that he does not share with any of the rest of his creation or with man. Only God is all-knowing. That theological word is he's omniscient. He knows it all. Did you know God knows it all from the beginning to the end? He's all, and I meet a lot of people that think they know it all, but they don't. They're just know-it-alls, but they don't know it all. But God does. He's omniscient. 
He's all-powerful, omnipotent. All power is his. He's always present. He's omnipresent. There's nobody like him. He's never changing. He's immutable. Thou changes not. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's always just and always true. And he is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says it's the Shema. This is what the children of Israel confess every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. He is a jealous and a holy God. There's only one God, and he is one. My friends, there's not multiple gods. There's one God, and he is holy. Elton Trueblood wrote years ago in a book called Foundations of Reconstruction. He says the number one differs from all other numbers, not in degree but in kind. The step from, from two to three is relatively slight. But the step from one to two is enormous. A man who has two wives and a man who has three wives are in the same class. They're both polygamists. They are both able to divide their deepest affection. But both are totally different from the man who, because he cannot divide his affection, is wholly loyal to one wife. We preserve a fundamental insight in our grammar when we make the primary numerical distinction between singular and plural, no matter what the decree, the plurality may be, there is more essential difference between one and two than there is between two and a million. Because God is one. You are to worship the Lord God and serve Him only. You shall have no other gods before me. Listen to what he's saying. You shall not worship any other idols or, or craft any other objects of worship because my name is holy and you are not to, you are to reverence my name and not take it in vain because my name is holy. My person is holy. Your worship is to be holy. My day is holy. He is holy. Holiness is a frightful thing. One of the reasons that people are so flippant in our culture today about God is they don't believe that he's holy. And there's no sense of fear of God in our world. When God was speaking to the children of Israel and to Moses, in Exodus chapter number 20, it says, they said, he's, they said, in the lightning and the thunder, and they could hear the voice of God, they said, please, please, don't let him speak anymore. You tell us what he said. We can't stand. We're scared to death to be in the awesome presence of a holy God. You all believe in a holy God? In the year the king Isaiah died, Isaiah said, 
I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And seraphim stood behind him, and they had six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they did fly. And they kept singing and saying back to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow. There was a sense of the powerful presence of God. Listen to what Isaiah has to say in chapter number 6. He says, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, and the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm finished. I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. An earthly king had died, and Isaiah was deeply grieving. But in an act of worship in the temple complex, he sees the Lord lifted up. And in that vision, he sees the holiness and the majesty and the glory of God himself. And he was shaken to his core. He said, I've seen the king. Have you understand the holiness of God? Why is holiness essential? Glad you asked. Verse number 16, it says, You shall be holy because he is holy. This holy one has called you, and you shall be holy in all of your behavior. Why is this so essential to us? I'm glad. Listen closely to me. Listen, please, tonight. Without holiness, you will not see God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Maybe your translation says sanctification. The word sanctify carries with it the idea of holiness, being made holy. He says, without which no one will see the Lord. You cannot live and abide in the presence of holy God Unless you are holy. It's essential. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. Who has not sworn deceitfully. But here's the problem. We're all sinners. If you're a sinner and have sinned in your life, would you raise your hand? Would you agree? Yeah. rest of you just lying. We're all sinners, right? And so, if I'm a sinner, how can a sinful man stand in the presence of a holy God? I'm undone. I'm like Isaiah. I have no righteousness in me. None. The Bible says, without holiness, you're condemned. You not only cannot be in the presence of God, but you're condemned to everlasting hell. And I know this is not 
a popular message, but my soul, we better start preaching the truth. The reason people don't preach about holiness is because you've got to preach about sin. The only way that you can be holy is to deal with the sin that's in you. We like to whitewash the sin. It's not really sinful. It's not really a big deal. God doesn't really care about it. Well, you're just full of baloney. You don't understand the holiness of God. You're lying to yourself. You just wait till you stand in the presence of holy God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable and murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and listen, all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And that is the second death. There's no hope for those who are unholy. Verse 27, and nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. That's heaven, God's presence. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Without holiness, you'll never see God, and without holiness, you are condemned to hell. We have false ideas about God, that God somehow winks at our sin, that God loves us too much to ever condemn us. Listen, universalism is a lie, and it's not the truth. God is holy. You don't understand His holiness, and you don't understand the justice of Almighty God. You discount the severity of your sin and the helplessness of your soul, and you're lost without God saving you. You have no hope on your own works, your own merit. You think you're just going to be that God will let you in because you're cute, because you're funny, because you're likable. No. There's only one way to be made holy. So the question is, how, pastor, can I be made holy? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Number one, you cannot make yourself holy. You can't do it. You cannot cause yourself, you're dead in your trespasses and sin, you cannot make yourself alive. You're blind and you cannot make yourself see. You can't. And you're undone and you can't make yourself right. So in that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, whenever the prophet sees God in his holiness, in his perfection, in his power, in his majesty, he says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm toast. I have nothing. I've got nothing. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got an unclean heart and an unclean mouth. And I live among people with unclean lips because they have unclean hearts. And our eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's, what, what, what do I do? But there's nothing he can do. But this is the grace that we see in Isaiah 6. And one of the seraphim that is crying out, 
There is a movement behind, and one of the seraphim flies, and he flies over to the altar, and with tongs he takes the coal, burning coal, off of the altar, and he brings that searing coal to the lips of Isaiah, and it provides healing and salvation. The angel of the Lord says, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Whoo! Hallelujah. Now, folks, this is realized in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. It's a picture for, of what God has done for us. Only a holy one can make you holy. Did you hear me? Only a holy one can make you holy. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 24, And he, he himself, he himself by himself, it's emphatic, bore our sins in his body on a tree, on a cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. There's only one that can make you holy, and that's the Holy One Himself who died for you and your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sin. Who can make you holy? Only Jesus can. The Holy Son of God who died for you and He died for me. Listen to what 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for our sins. Can somebody say amen to that? Christ died for our sins, listen, once for all. The just one for unjust ones. The holy one for unholy ones. The righteous one for unrighteous ones. That he may bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, made alive in the Spirit. Jesus did that for you. Once for all time, he's put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's appeared into the presence of God, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own life's blood for our salvation. And we are only made holy by the Holy One himself, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be made holy. The perfect man died. The holy one died for unholy ones. Oh, it's a glorious thought, isn't it? The hymn writer wrote, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. 
Isn't that glorious? In the Old Testament, the priests in the Old Testament were specially chosen and selected. They're of the lineage of Aaron. And the priests had holy garments. They were to be bathed and cleansed. And they were to have holy garments made for them. Their undergarments were holy. Their robes were holy. And they were sewn in a holy fashion. They have pomegranates and bells on the bottom of their of their robes as they move around. You can hear them in their work. They minister in the holy place where the regular people could not attend. They have on their shoulders stones that are embroidered and sewn into the shoulders, and they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So when they come into the presence of God, Israel's on their shoulders. But also they have not only a tunic, but a breastplate. And a breastplate is folded over. And inside it's an ability to discern the will of God. The Urim and the Thurim are tucked into the pocket. And there are stones on that breastplate with the 12 tribes of Israel. The man of God, the priest of God, stands in the presence of God with God's chosen people on his shoulders and on his heart. This is what Jesus did for you. Jesus, our high priest, went into the holy place. He bore you on his shoulders and on his heart. But not only that, he had to wear a diadem made, a special crown and diadem. And as he wore the diadem, it was etched on it so that all would see and be reminded, holy to the Lord. Now, watch with me. Watch with me. He has made you a kingdom of priests. He has robed you. He has cleansed you. And he has stamped on you, holy to the Lord. Whoo! That's you, my friend. You say, me? Yes. He's called you saint. The word saint comes from the word holy. It means holy one. You are a child of God, but not only a child, a priest. And he's called you to a priestly ministry. You say, Brother Tim, where's this in the Bible? First, let's try First Peter. We've been looking at that book. Chapter number 2. Verse number 9, but you are a chosen race. Did you know you didn't choose God? He chose you. A chosen race, just as the children of Israel were chosen, you were chosen. A royal priesthood. That means you're, you're a ro- there's, a, there's a royalty and a priesthood that's been given to you. A holy nation. You're holy for God, set aside for his people. A people for his own possession. The King James says you're a peculiar people. and Boy, that's true. We are. His peculiar. We are his own possession. He bought you with a price. He loves you, has a plan for your life. 
In verse number 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I urge you as strangers and aliens that are living in this world, abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that the things that they slander you as evildoers may on account of your good deeds as they observe them. Glorify God in the day of visitation. You are God's holy people. Amen. Pastor Tim, how do I live a holy life? How do I live this holy life? Now, you've been declared righteous. You've been declared holy, and you've been made holy. You have been justified. But God's Holy Spirit is working in you. God's, aren't you glad God's not done with you yet? Amen. Through your muffled mask, tell your neighbor, God's not done with you yet. He's not. He is not done with you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, he's working in you. But you must cooperate as the Holy Spirit is working and sanctifying you. And this is what you do. Now, I want to talk about living a holy life. Now, listen close to me. Holiness is not legalism. This is what's been taught in so many churches. To live a holy life is a list of legalistic do's and don'ts. That if you don't do eat this food, you're holy. Or if you don't eat this food, you're holy. Or if you don't drink this, you're holy. Or if you do drink this, you're holy. Or if you wash in a certain way, you're holy. That's what the Pharisees taught. And it will make you holy. If you don't mix your meat and your milk, then you're holy. That is not what makes you holy. It's not what you consume or what you wear or what you dress that makes you holy. Somebody said, I'm a Baptist. I don't... I don't dance, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. Well, that's not what makes you holy. Jesus said it's not what you put in your mouth and consume and digest that makes you holy or unholy. He says it's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unholy. Because out of your mouth comes adulteries. Out of your mouth comes envy. Out of your mouth comes division. Out of your heart comes sin. The issue is in your heart and it comes out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. And the issues in our heart, that's what makes us unholy. It's not a, a list of do's and don'ts, and legalism will never do it. It's those transforming work of the Spirit of God in us, taking our old filthy heart and making it clean. And then we've got to walk with Christ Amen. and obey Him in your life. So here's how you do it. Number one, be honest about your sin. Now listen, all of us are going to sin. We all... We don't get sinless perfection on this side of eternity. But we've got to be honest about our sin and not lie and deceive ourselves about it. Amen? First mm. John chapter number 1. First John chapter number 1, beginning with verse 5. And this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. But if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. And if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a life and his word's not in us. Folks, it begins with getting honest about your sin. Now listen, when you sin and I sin, we all are going to sin. But you don't live in a habitual state of rebellion and sin against God. And when you sin, get honest with God about it. The word confession, confess, is the word homo logio. Logio means to say the same, to say, and homo means the same, means say the same thing that God says about your sin. Get honest with God about your sin. Don't excuse your sin. Don't play the victim card. Don't blame it on your wife. Don't blame it on your children. Don't blame it on your employer. You own it. You got to own it. It's your sin. Own your sin and confess it to God. That's the step to healing. Number two, repent from sin and turn to God. Without repentance, you can't have an honest relationship with God. Some churches teach you need to go to confession and you confess, but you don't have to repent. God calls you to repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and seasons of refreshing may come from the Lord. He revives you, renews you. Number three, pursue the Lord. Pursue to know God, walk with God, add to your faith, add to what God's doing in your life, trust in Him, let Him transform your life. Remember what He's done for you and, 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 and ask God to speak and change your life. Listen, there ought to be good works that manifest themselves in your life, a change in your character. And so you have to say no to some things so you can say yes to walking with God. But you can't, you, some of you want to put one foot in the world and live like the world and another foot over here in a walk with God. It doesn't work that way. You need to get all in and pursue him with all your heart. He's at work in you. Martin Luther said, he talked about sola fide. What is sola fide? It means we're saved by faith alone, right? But Luther went on to say, it's faith alone, but not faith that is alone. Meaning, your faith should be accompanied by works that prove your faith. And then live a life of obedience to the Lord. 1 John chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 3. By this we know we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Obey Him. Notice what it says in verse 4. The one who says, I've come to know Him, does not keep His commandments. He's a liar. The truth's not in Him. 
But whoever keeps this word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And the one who says he abides in him, lives in him, ought himself, listen, walk the same manner as he walked. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy in all your behavior. Amen. And then follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now listen, you are holy by the work of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, awesome, the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of you. And you are called by God as saints, children of God, His holy ones. That's the name He's given you. And this Holy Spirit that dwells in God's holy children is producing holy fruit that's manifest and evident in your life. In the book of Galatians in chapter 5, Paul lists this outworking of God's Holy Spirit's fruit in your life. It produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the evidences of the Holy Spirit working in God's holy people that have been transformed by His amazing grace. Now, two questions tonight. Number one, this is question one, and do not, do not ignore this question. Am I holy? Yes or no? How would you answer that? This is a pass-fail answer. Am I holy? Let me rephrase it. Who made you holy? That's right. That's the only way. If you think you're making yourself holy, you're on your way to hell. If you're trusting on Jesus only, then you are declared holy by God himself. It's an amazing thought. But the next question you have to answer tonight, am I living a holy life? Am I living a holy life? And if not, then tonight you need to repent of sin and turn back to God. Because the one, the Holy One who called you, the word called is kaleo. He called you out of sin and death and darkness and defeat. And He's called you unto Himself. This Christian life is not just praying a prayer, now you got fire insurance and you can live however you want. 
This Christian life is a living relationship with a holy God. He's called you to live a holy life. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's true, and it's convicting and reassuring at the same time. Tonight, we recommit ourselves to you. Lord, to live a holy life. In Jesus' name, amen.